The High Price of Ministry, next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. We're delighted to share the next half hour together with you and welcome to Abounding Grace from Calvary Church in Aurora. Pastor Ed Taylor is in the middle of a series in 2 Corinthians, and if you'll recall, the Apostle Paul has been defending himself and explaining his ministry. Apparently, there were those that came against him with false accusations, but Paul was a true man of God, and you only need to look at his life and ministry to see that. We'll find a list of things that really serve to validate his ministry in 2 Corinthians 6. And that's where we join Pastor Ed now. So the church in the city of Corinth had a very special relationship with the man that God used to plant the church. Now, a lot of times, uh, and I've used this vocabulary too because it comes very naturally when we talked about moving here, uh, we talked about we came to plant a church that's not entirely accurate. It wasn't accurate for Paul, and it's not accurate when, when I say that, because what's really accurate is that a pastor or a man or a family moves to another city to be used of God to plant a church, because God does the work. It's his church. He plants the church. He establishes the church. So here in Corinth, God used Paul to establish a church, and he spent 18 months there developing a relationship. What was normal for Paul, except in a couple cities like Corinth and Ephesus, Paul would be used to get the church going, gather a group together, preach the gospel, people would be saved. He'd establish leadership in a young church and then he'd move on. And then he'd do it again and he'd move on. He was moving on all over the place except in Corinth he paused and he spent some time with them. And in spending that time, remember how relationships develop? Same ingredients. Same ingredients in the first century, same ingredients today. Relationships develop through time and testing. So 18 months is a good amount of time to go through a few things together, to learn together. The church in Corinth was, was saved from the radical sin. I, I mean, they were in pagan lives. They were living fully for the, the, the things that were listed in 1 Corinthians, the, the common sins of our society, and God called the people out of that sinful lifestyle, established a church. They're born again. They're new creations in Christ. And somewhere along the way, after Paul left, the church in Corinth turned a difficult corner, made some bad decisions. It didn't take long for the church to be divided. It didn't take long for the church to have factions, to be filled with immorality and unspiritual leadership. They weren't using the spiritual gifts that God had given them properly, but rather were interested in using the gifts to draw attention to themselves they weren't respecting the Lord's Supper. They weren't respecting communion. They were taking advantage of it. Uh, in the early church, the communion meal that we have, that we participate in, in the, the elements that are symbolic, they would also add a feast or a large meal. They would call it an agape feast, a love feast. And in that love feast, there was 
lots of food and, and wine and things that they had that were current and common in the first century. And people were getting drunk and they were pushing people out of the way. And it was a very, you wouldn't be able to tell that this group was a group of born-again believers. And Paul, remember, wrote that first, we, the letter we know as 1 Corinthians. That's really why 1 Corinthians is the letter we studied before. Why it was written was to correct all these things. And it was hard and difficult. It was a letter that was well-received, as we'll see later, that they were, uh, they were received it. They, in chapter 7, when we get there, it says that their sorrow led to repentance, and they changed, but it was still hard. It's still hard to tell someone something hard. That's a, hard, that's a difficult part of ministry, to have the relationship with someone and identify whether it's you to receive it or it's you to give it that says, you know, you know, pushing people out of the way of communion, that's not a good idea. Or, you know, showing up drunk and taking advantage of people and drawing attention. It's not easy touching on the sinful things in people's lives. That's why Jesus said, be very, very careful that you don't go after the specks in people's eyes. He uses some, some re- exaggerated example. It's funny. Don't deal with the specks in people's eye when you have a log in your own eye. First deal with the log. And, and can you imagine the, the picture being painted? You, can you imagine walking around with a log in your eye? And I, and I forget about a log. I, I can't even understand how that would fit. But Jesus was using an exaggeration to make a point. But just a stick, you know, just a, you know, maybe a 12-inch stick sticking out of your eye. And you're trying to look in because if it's a speck, you've got to examine it and look. But the big old stick slapping the other guy in the head. And it doesn't make any sense. And that's the point he was making. It doesn't make any sense for you then to begin serving other people and ministering to other people and wanting to help other people grow in the things of God when you won't even take care of the glaring things in your life. You're you're so sensitive to the small things in other people's lives, but you won't even take care of the glaring thing in your life. And Paul the Apostle had to take care of the glaring things in the church in Corinth. And he wrote that letter, and it was well-received. He dealt with the issues head-on. This is the kind of pastor and leadership you want in your life. But since the first letter and the great response, the church in Corinth began to drift off again. And they were easily influenced somehow, some way. We're not told. But a group of false teachers entered into the church, a group of false believers. We don't know exactly who they were, Judaizers, perhaps some legalists, or just plain people that didn't like Paul. And they were able to influence a large section of the church against Paul. They were able to influence the, the, the relationship that he had with the church. People turned on him. And made it harder for Paul's life. They claimed that Paul was a proud man. They claimed that he was indecisive and unimpressive in appearance and dishonest. And, and I mean, they flat out just said, you know, he's not even an apostle. He's not even qualified to be an apostle. And Paul sent Titus to Corinth to handle these difficulties and returned to Paul with an encouraging report. Yet there was still some resistance. There was still some pushback. And that's where this letter comes into play. Some suggest, commentators, and we know that there was another letter, but it wasn't inspired. So what we're reading here that we know as 2 Corinthians could actually be referred to 3 Corinthians, a third letter. The second one that he wrote wasn't inspired. We don't have it today. We don't even have it historically. It wasn't preserved. But this letter was preserved, and Paul defends himself. He doesn't put up a major defense. He doesn't make himself 
the point. And that, that we've seen that. You can look back at a couple studies where he's he just is so encouraging to me because when things do come his way, he doesn't defend himself in a way that makes himself the point. Instead, he's able to sidestep the things that were toward him, answering them, but quickly getting their eyes back on the Lord. Because that's the solution to any difficulty, you know, any any issue, any attack. It's like, man, get your eyes back on the Lord. You wouldn't act like that. You know, abiding in Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be saying those things. Abiding in Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be thinking those things. Abiding in Jesus Christ, you wouldn't be trying to get a group together. You wouldn't be gossiping. You wouldn't be coming against godly. You wouldn't be doing these things. And Paul was a master at doing that. Even when, you remember a few weeks ago, we saw how one of the attacks was a common attack. It was an attack on the person. And that often happens. You'll be attacked as a person when in the argument, there is, there is no argument. They have nothing to say. And so because they have none to say, they go after you. And Paul was even able to avoid that. Not everybody is as good at avoiding the personal attacks. <laughs> you know, those are the ones that get you. And they, 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 you know, you're arguing about something and you're disagreeing and then the other person just comes to the conclusion, you know, I don't really have anything to say, so they start you calling you names. Or they start even, do, you know, it gets dirty. They might, re, they might start to bring up the past. That's a personal attack. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought we resolved that already. And no, it's not me. And then before you know it, you're not talking about the thing that you were disagreeing on. You're now talking about your own personal and your hurt and that, and it gets really, really ugly. Paul was able to avoid that, and he explains his ministry. Remember, if you're taking notes or you want to be reminded, there's three sections to this letter that I want to remind you of. The first section is what we're still in. It's chapters 1 through 7. Paul gives an explanation for his ministry. He's explaining we're still in these last couple chapters by the time we get to chapter 8, verse 8 and chapters 8 and 9, Paul's going to change and he's going to remind the church in Corinth that they made commitments to give and they're not keeping their commitments, so he expects them to give. And he's going to speak on that. We have some of the best insight on New Testament giving in chapters 8 and 9 of Corinthians, helping us to see how we're supposed to use the resources that God has put into our hands. And then in chapters 10 through 13, he then expresses a defense of his apostleship. And he wants to establish that God indeed called him into the ministry. So verse 1 of chapter 6, with that in mind, Paul is still defending himself. He's explaining his ministry. And he says, We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says... In an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Again, tying together back with the end of chapter 5 was the ministry of reconciliation. That he, we've been, not only is God reconciling man to himself, but he's also given us the ministry of reconciliation. Helping people get back in right relationship with God to, to be restored and to be born again. And he continues on that thought. We then... As workers together with him, we're serving along in that ministry. We beg you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time, I have heard you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So we're co-workers I like that word in verse 1, workers. We're workers. Ministry is work. I was looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3 a couple times today, and Paul tells young Timothy, if you're looking at and desiring the position of an overseer or an episcopos, you desire a good work. 
And it's hard work, and it's difficult work, but it's work. It's not working for salvation. It's not some good work to earn God's favor. It's just work to get involved in the lives of people in some of their most difficult times and some of the brokenness of sin. And it's work to steady on and, and, and have your life in a place where you are usable. It's work. It requires effort and energy on our part. He says in verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Now, I love that word ministry. The root word of that in the Greek is from uh, the same word that we would get our word deacons from in the New Testament, a place of service, the deacons, the deacons that would serve in the practical ministry. Anyone that serves in a practical way in the church, I, I really don't think the Bible's giving the titles, you know, giving words just for title's sake. We'll say, well, I'm a deacon. No, if you're serving faithfully within the church, you have that role of deacon, or for you ladies, deaconess. And we see that, you have that role. We, we see the word ministry, and some of you, right away, you check out on the word ministry. You check out because you think, well, ministry is what ministers do, and I'm not a minister, so I'm not interested in ministry. That's good for pastors or teachers or, you know, for leaders in the church. Or, but that's not the word. It's that, that's not the picture. That it's been corrupted to think that only ministers do the ministry. We all do the ministry. We're all called to ministry. It doesn't matter what your title or position is. The word simply means to serve. Just like in Acts chapter 6, when there was a practical need, they were looking for deacons to lead and take care of the practical needs to provide clothing to those that were in need. And I get this sense as chapter 6 opens up that Paul was sensing himself that the Corinthians had forgotten the work of the ministry. They had forgotten what God called them to. They had forgotten that it was toward him that Paul was in the city of Corinth to preach the gospel to serve them. And many were saved, and a church was planted. In those early days of the church in Corinth, God was on the move. And he says, I beg you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. In another place, Paul would warn the church and the believers, I, th- I believe it was in Galatians, to, to the Galatian believers, um, which would be the believers in the region of Galatia. It wasn't just a it wasn't just a city, it was a region, that what is begun in the spirit don't perfect in the flesh. And the church in Corinth certainly fell into that, where they started well and weren't ending well. And it didn't take that long. It didn't take that long for them to get off course. It didn't take that long for them to forget their roots. It didn't take that long for them to take things into their own hands. So he says, look, guys, don't receive the grace. You were born again. Don't receive it and make it empty. That's what he's saying. Don't make it empty. You have such a great salvation church. Not just Corinthians. How about us? I would say I could agree with Paul to to plead with you. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Don't live an empty life. You're born again. You're You're a new creation in Christ. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God has entrusted to you and me the ministry of reconciliation. Don't receive God's grace and then live an empty life. A life that doesn't reflect the grace of God. A life that doesn't honor God. A life that doesn't reflect the obedience that's necessary for us to grow in the things of God. I I can understand Paul. He's saying, hey, look, you guys have so much and you're living an empty life. A life that's not making an eternal difference. I'm not dumb enough to think that there aren't some listening right now that that's a word for you. For you. 
Your life is clicking away. You see, the next thing, he, he takes you back to today. He says, today is the day of salvation. Today. It's today. Today is the day of ministry. Today is the day of salvation. Today. You don't have tomorrow. None of us are promised tomorrow. None of us are promised tonight. None of us are promised the next breath. It's all by the grace of God. When you think of life, how fragile it is, every breath, life until your last breath is from the grace of God. And we're not promised tomorrow. That's why James tells us, you be careful when you're talking about planning for tomorrow, that you're so confident it's just going to come. Now, some of you, you do like to put things off. Anyone here, like, I'm not asking for hands. You just know who you are. Your garage, if I saw your garage, I could say, yep, that's your one of them. I'd drive through your neighborhood, put it off, putting off. Oh, he likes a clean one, you know, and I could see that. There's projects to get me putting off, and I- I'm guilty of that. I mean, of the dumbest things, you know, the trash, the dishes, whatever. You know, Maria will say, get the trash out. I'll get it tomorrow. And you're not promised. Oh, no, she doesn't say that. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's like, you know, I don't want to get up. What's it going to take? 30 seconds, 60 seconds? I don't want to get up. I, that's all it is. I don't want to get up. And so in my mind, I'm just in grant. I'll get it tomorrow. I'll get it tomorrow. I'll get it. You know, a day I could tell the kids to do it. And sometimes I'll still tell Caitlin to do it. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can put things off. They're, they're, that's, you know, trash, no big deal. How about difficult conversations? Do you put those off too? You say, I just don't want, you know, I don't want to argue. I don't, you know, do you put difficult conversations off? How about decisions to obey? Do you put that off too? You know, the Lord has spoken to you. And instead of obeying the simplicity of what God gave you, you're one of those people, well, I'm just waiting. I want God to do something great. And heaven keeps saying, well, do something great in the small things. Be faithful in the little things. Because the Bible teaches us by principle and precept that those that are faithful in the little things will be made ruler of many. But because you've chosen to have a habit of putting things off, you haven't been faithful in the little things, and now you're mad at God thinking that you haven't, he's holding out on you on the big things. He's not. Heaven continues to say, handle this. Take care of this. You're not going to get anything more. That's not some church leader. Now, the voice might sound like a church leader. And the church leader says, no, 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 no. We need to wait on the Lord. And you're like, oh, I can't believe you're waiting. But it's not actually the voice of the church leader. It's actually heaven telling you the same thing he's always been telling you. God has been saying. You know, sometimes it's in your prayer life. Sometimes it's through the word. Even right now where he says, this acceptable time I've heard you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That's true for that eternal decision. But it's also true for the things in life. Now. It's now. You've got to learn how to live in the now. And it makes sense that when they're going through difficulties, Paul brings them back to the now. That's how they got saved. It was in the moment. In verse 4, he says, But in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. You tie that word minister and ministry just means servants. That's all. We're ministers of God. In much patience and tribulations and needs and distresses. In stripes and imprisonments and tumults and labors. Sleeplessness, fastings. Verse 6, purity, by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love, 
by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers, yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as chastened, yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing all things." He just explained in the verses 4 through 10 what he meant in verse 3. We give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. And we ask the question, what does that mean, Paul? What do you mean you give no offense in anything so that your ministry may not be blamed? This is a list of things. Not a, I don't believe it's a complete list, but it's a list of things validating the ministry of Paul. This is, you want to know if Paul's a true man of God? Look at his life. Look at his life. And he's opening up more than anything. This is the letter that Paul opens up the most. It's an x-ray of his heart and his life and his ministry. It, It would be like you telling us the last 10 years of your life, things that nobody knows. You haven't announced it. You don't post that kind of stuff. But because of the relationship, you decide, you know what? I just need to let you know what the last 10 years has been like. You guys are listening to them. You're believing them. You think I'm not legit. You think I don't love God. You think I don't love you. I think you need to know what my life has been like. And then you can make up your mind. I think you need to know a few things that have been going on in my life that I know you don't know. And maybe you believe all those things that they're saying because you don't know. But let me just give you a little peek at my life. So much damage has been done by those who say they're believers, even a few spiritual leaders that live lives that put the ministry in a place of scorn and ridicule. That's what Paul's saying. I didn't do that. So so many misrepresentations of the true ministry of Jesus. It it doesn't take long if you flip through various channels of so-called Christian TV to see very big misrepresentations of the ministry of Jesus Christ. And I wouldn't encourage you to do that, but some of you already do flip through, and some of you have yoked together with teachers that are on television that are a a ridicule and a mockery of Christianity that doesn't reflect anything that Jesus said, completely misrepresenting the word of God to take advantage of people, financially and otherwise. And we're not speaking of the humanity of life. Because I would say if we were to line up 20 pastors here, your pastors here in this church, pastors up here at Grace, down at the Vineyard, down at Eastern Hills or Colorado Community, all of us pastors, you line us up. There's regular humanity in us that you go, man, the pastors have bad days? Yeah, most of them. Not me. No, of course me. (laughs) Of course we do. Pastors get in the flesh? Yeah, unfortunately... Things happen. I think if we were building a house together, which probably would never happen, but if we were building a house together and I hit my thumb and you hit your thumb, we'd probably respond the same way. Maybe we use different words, but that doesn't matter. Maybe you're thinking a bad word. I'm thinking a bad word, but then I say, oh, shucks. You know? And in my mind, I'm thinking before I was saved, because that hurts. Because we're human. I'm not talking about the humanity that you just find out. You know, and I, you just find out your pastors are normal people, your leaders are normal men and women. There's normal people, have a walk with the Lord, abide. But I am talking about a pastor or a leader that lives a life that does bring scorn to the name of Jesus, that lives a life of unrepentance, 
that lives a life taking advantage and, and truly is more of a wolf than he is a shepherd. You've been listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're in the midst of a series that's based in 2 Corinthians. If you'd like to hear it again, go to calvaryco.church. Another way to listen to Pastor Ed's teachings is through our mobile apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora, and you'll be able to download both our church app and the Grace FM Colorado app. Thank you for your support of Abounding Grace. It does make a difference. Your donation will serve to help us bring these daily studies to your station and many others like it every day. We're consistently receiving wonderful reports from listeners of how God is using the Word of God to help them grow by God's abounding grace. And when you support this ministry today with the gift of $25 or more, we'd like to send you Contented in All Things, Peace by Jeff Geip. Maybe you've noticed many Americans today lack true contentment. No matter how much they have, they're always wanting more, bigger, better. But that doesn't have to be the case for you. And in Contented, Pastor Jeff Geip helps the reader find peace in all things and get on the path to contentment in Christ. Here's where to reach us, 877-30-GRACE, or turn to calvaryco.church on the web. That's 877-30-GRACE and calvaryco.church. Glad you've taken time out for our study. We'll bring you more from Pastor Ed Taylor's study of 2 Corinthians next time on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.